and welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm Nabil Biagio on this live broadcast coming to you from Studio 14 here in Washington. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan and Sudan this Friday, March 1st, 2024. South Sudan's government threatens not to renew the mandate of the UN Human Rights Commission in the country. The government rejects the commission's intrusion and expansion of its powers into monitoring implementation of the RSS, a power which is conferred upon the RGMF. And students in northern Bahar Ghazali state benefit from school feeding programs. I learned it at the school garden there. When there is nothing there in our family, I can use some of it to give to them. When I have no money for buying uniform, I use it to buy this uniform. But I, I think it will give me more things. We will have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. United Nations investigators warn an alarming rise in violence and human rights violations threaten prospects for a durable peace in South Sudan, which they say could impede free and fair elections in December. Members of the UN Commission on Human Rights in South Sudan submitted its latest report today to the UN Human Rights Council. A top government official sharply criticized the report's findings. Lisa Schlein reports from Geneva. Members of the UN Commission on Human Rights in South Sudan say much remains to be done before elections planned for later this year. While South Sudan is coming to the end of a transitional political process, the Commission notes the drafting of a new permanent constitution has not started. Commission member Barney Afako says entrenched impunity is fueling armed conflict, repression, corruption, and human rights violations, which complicate efforts to hold free and fair elections. Last April, we named senior officials responsible for serious crimes, including extrajudicial killings, torture, rape and sexual violence. All of them retained their positions, including the Governor of Unity State and the Coach County Commissioner. These two individuals enjoy impunity and have continued to instigate serious violence and violations. Afako says children are recruited into the army and militias, while armed cattle keepers encroach upon and grab the land of farmers. He says the commission has documented cases of young girls and women who have been abducted and held as sexual slaves. He says many have testified being regularly beaten, raped, and threatened with death. The scale, severity, and violence associated with abductions is worsening. These attacks are well planned. Although authorities were often well aware of them, they claimed to be powerless to stop them. Instead, authorities have negotiated ransoms and encouraged families to pay off abductors. We believe that this can only incentivize further abductions. The Commission calls on South Sudan's government to urgently establish transitional justice institutions and allow the country's political process to operate meaningfully and legitimately. South Sudan's Minister of Justice and Constitutional Affairs, Ruben Madolarol, calls the commission report deplorable. He says it does not consider the actions the government has taken to improve security. 
He says the description of widespread sexual and gender-based violence against women and girls is misleading and meant to tarnish the image of the country. The South Sudan government also has threatened to end the mandate of the UN Human Rights Commission in South Sudan. Michael Makaway Lewis, the Minister of Information and Telecommunications, told journalists the government will not extend the commission's mandate unless it accepts new conditions. He said the commission must give the names of individuals and organizations accused of rights violations to the government. Also, the commission must agree to only monitor and report rights violations, and the government and the UN mission in South Sudan will handle all investigations. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. As we just heard, the government of South Sudan has threatened to end the mandate of the United Nations Human Rights Commission in the country. Addressing the media in Juba this week, the Minister of Information and Government Spokesperson says the commission's mandate will not be extended unless the UN adheres to the government's demands. The latest human rights report on South Sudan has angered the Kir administration. Michael McQuay, a Minister of Information and Government spokesman, says the commission has not been transparent. McQuay says the government may ban the activities of the United Nations Human Rights Commission in South Sudan across the country. Despite South Sudan having made enormous progress on human rights issues, the government is experiencing a difficult relationship with the commission. To that end, the position of the government of South Sudan on a extension of the mandate of the Commission on Human Rights in South Sudan was put forward as follows. One, the government requests the Commission to share evidence and names of the individuals and entities accused of human rights violations so that the government could evaluate the evidence with a view of addressing them through accountability process. McQuay says his government will extend the mandate of the rights group after some of the Commission's powers are stripped. The government accepts that the Commission to monitor and and reports human rights situation, but its powers of investigation should be relinquished to the government and unanimous. The government rejects the commission's intrusion and expansion of its powers into monitoring implementation of the R access, a power which is conferred upon the R jamek. If the government position is accepted, the government is willing to accept the extension of the commission for a period of one year under item 10. Human rights activist and executive director of a Juba-based center for peace and advocacy is skeptical about the government's capacity to investigate cases of human rights violations in the country. If you look at South Sudan Human Rights Commission, that is supposed to be in mandated, you know, to deal on the issue of monitoring and, and documentation of human rights in the country. As we speak now, they don't have a space, deep alone the budget, uh, which means the government is not interested, you know, uh, to to strengthen its own institutions. South Sudan Human Rights Commission has two reports, the quarterly report and annual report. You know, those reports, they go to parliament and they disappear simply because the government is not interested uh, in handling the issue of human rights in the country. So I don't see any reason why they they gave a condition to the body that was established, you know, uh, to come and hand them the report and yet they don't handle their home. 
The UN Human Rights Report says women and children have been targets of gross human rights violations committed with impunity in South Sudan. Erich Gisairo is the head of programs at Hold the Child, a local non-profit dealing with child protection. He says children are facing human rights violations. He asked the government to implement the peace deal so that vulnerable groups are protected in South Sudan. The human rights abuses which are happening to children, we have realized that within South Sudan there are many, but the majority we have abuses to do with the sexual abuse, which happens like in major communities where we have like if we have a crisis and we have those who are taking advantage of advantage of children, most children, especially our girls, uh, they are forced to be married off at, at the tender age. To an extent, if you look like a child of 15 years, 16 years is married off and this particular child is mature enough to be in the family and uh, at the end of the day you find that this child, she has been denied the right to education. Manyang says his group has received the reports that some of the violations in South Sudan are intentional. He says the government should investigate human rights abuses. According to my observation in the country, seeing the poem article no, uh, in 2020, there are a lot of human rights violations in the country or abuses, especially on the political leaders uh, and the journalists, uh, women human rights activists, you know, due to uh, Bakim that, you know, the rule of law and the constitution is not respected. You know, there's a restriction in the country. The Human Rights Council is the main intergovernmental body within the United Nations responsible for human rights. It was established in 2006 by the General Assembly with the responsibility of strengthening the promotion and protection of human rights around the globe. For VOA News, I'm Dennis Logoni reporting from Juba. The Human Rights Commission chairperson, Yasmin Soka, said her team presented the report's findings to government officials during a recent visit to South Sudan and requested feedback. She also says the commission provides the government with the names of perpetrators but expressed frustration over the government's failure to take action against them. Regarding evidence sharing, Soka said the commission must preserve evidence for a future hybrid court outlined in South Sudan's peace agreement. She spoke with me from Johannesburg. In the sort of final days of our visit to South Sudan, we had a number of meetings with government ministers, the head of cabinet, Michael um, Lamuro, Martin Lamuro, and we also met with the president and the first vice president. Um, and I think the meeting with the president was incredibly constructive because he asked me to tell him about what the violations are. And I was quite forthright about what we were seeing. In our meetings with government ministers, of course, you know, one thing that these meetings are always characterized by is denial that the violations are taking place. And of course, the big denial is around the question of sexual violence, which I find quite difficult to deal with because we are the ones that are interviewing women and men and girls around the country. I mean, we have a permanent secretariat who are based in South Sudan, and they've done a large number of missions to what we call hotspots. And they've also visited many of the neighboring countries. They've gone to visit you know, people who've become refugees and they visited internally displaced persons. Now, before we hand our reports over to the Human Rights Council, the government actually gets a copy of the full report. And 
that is the point at which they can make comments. But I think there's a real distinction between sharing the findings and recommendations with the government and sharing of evidence. Because when you look at the Commission's mandate, the Commission was specifically set up to ensure that it collected and preserved evidence for the purposes of passing that on to a prosecutor of a future hybrid court, which is to be set up under Chapter 5 of the Revitalized Peace Agreement, and also the Commission on Truth and Healing and the Compensation and Reparations Authority. None of these bodies have been set up. But when they are set up, that is when the Commission will share its dossiers with those bodies. It is not empowered or entitled to share the evidence with the government of South Sudan, particularly given that South Sudan doesn't have a functioning judiciary or a functioning investigation process or even a functioning prosecutorial service. And without that, I mean, even at a domestic level, the Commission can't hand that invitation over because there are also questions of witness protection and security and confidentiality. And those are issues that will be dealt with by these transitional justice processes when they are actually established. But until then, that confidential part of our mandate can't actually be handed over. And do you share the names of, of uh, human rights violators with the government? Because you would we think have. you need their cooperation to go after yes. those violators, yes. to, br to yes. bring justice about. Yes. We, we actually did, you know, in, in, in our report last year, we mentioned a number of names of perpetrators whom we said are implicated in serious human rights violations, which may amount also to crimes against humanity and war crimes. And I'll give you an example of two of them. We cited, um, you know, Joseph Montale, who governor is the governor of Unity of State. Unity. Yes, and we also cited Gordon um, Kwak, who's the county commissioner for Koch. And we said that these are guys that should be removed. Now, one year later, they have not been removed. They remain in power and nothing has actually happened to them. And so you therefore ask the question, um, does the government actually have the political will to deal with people who have command responsibility and are deeply implicated in serious human rights violations? That's the chairperson of the UN Commission on Human Rights in South Sudan, Yasmin Soka. She spoke with me earlier today from Johannesburg, South Africa. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Chad's Prime Minister is asking the international community for help. Find out more after this break. Hello, listener of South Sudan in Focus. We have an exciting new segment dubbed Words of Wisdom. We want to hear your thoughtful proverbs that echo through your community. This is another chance for you to share wisdom from your roots. 
all you need to do is record a proverb in a language of your choice, tell us its English translation and what it means. Keep it brief, authentic, and represent your community. Your recorded proverb shall be sampled on South Sudan in Focus every Wednesday. Send your recording via our WhatsApp number, plus one, two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. That is plus one, two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. The World Food Program is making the is marking rather the Africa Day for school feeding at Maluela Kwon Primary School in Awil Town. Solomon Tilahun, head of WFP's programs in Awil, Northern Bahar Ghazali State, says WFP supports 25% of primary schools with the school feeding programs across five counties. The UN official says due to some challenges, the feeding program will cut the number of schools benefiting from the program in Northern Bahar Ghazali State. Juliana Shapai has more from Juba. Solomon Tilahon, head of WFP's program in Northern Bahar Ghazal State, says the school feeding program has empowered farmers to produce a variety of nutritious food. He says many schools could not benefit from the feeding program due to challenges facing WFP. Well, the challenges, one of the challenges is that they're reducing funding and we're closing many schools uh, because of funding limitation. And uh, that's one of the key challenges uh, which we have seen. And uh, the other is, of, of course, the climatic uh, situation is one of the key challenges to grow vegetables in the gardens because for a dry season vegetable growing, we need to have appropriate water resources. And during the dry season, the water is not enough because we are competing also with the water source with the community uh, to irrigate the vegetable garden. Albino Ajith Deng is the commodity tracking officer at Wealth Hunger Health Germany's biggest private organization for development and humanitarian aid. Deng says he works in partnership with the World Food Program in a will by ensuring that children at Malwil Akong Primary School have a balanced diet throughout the week. Deng says the school feeding program has provided farmers with financial assistance, enabling them to grow kale, jute mallow, and other vegetables for the market. He says the weather has limited the capacity of farmers to meet the market demands for fresh vegetables in a wheel. The watering, watering of the gardens, you know, moving from water point to the to the garden, that's uh, most challenging. Second to that, uh, <coughs> uh, the other challenging is uh, the, the the pests in uh, in, uh, in the garden. Sometimes most of the dry season, most of the garden have been affected by pest. Well, Attack is a project supervisor at Wealth Hunger Health. He says his office has supported farms at school. He adds that produce from some school gardens are used to feed the pupils. These products from the garden, they go direct to the kitchen. They go direct to the kitchens. Side that the children, which are studying in this school, they have to eat the vegetable. Because these vegetables, they are very rich in some nutrients and other they are very rich. In, uh, in terms of uh, vitamin, like tomato is a source of vitamin. And also uh, sakuma is also very rich in iodine. So we are doing this to improve the balanced diet for the children who are enrolled here in this school. James Nyang is a 22-year-old student at Malwil Kong and is a primary eight pupil. James says he is putting to good use what he learns in his agriculture lessons. 
He says he would like WFP to continue providing seats to students who can continue farming at their homes. I learned it at the school garden there. When there is nothing there in our family, I can use some of it to give to them. When I have no money for buying uniform, I use it to buy this uniform. But I, I think it will give me more things. The WFP implements its school feeding program across South Sudan to reduce short-term hunger among primary school children and to boost enrollment in schools. The Africa Day of School Feeding has been marked on March 1st every year since 2016. WFP says the day reminds the world about a moment to underscore the transformative power of homegrown school feeding program. Northern Baralghazal State has 759 primary schools and more than 5,000 children attend school offering feeding programs. For VOA News, I am Juliana Shapai in Juba. Chad's Prime Minister Sassas Masra says he is committed to strengthening the country's institutions as a priority for his new administration. A former opposition leader, Masra was appointed to his role at the beginning of the year after his return from exile in the U.S. He tells VOA's Jackson Vugani that his country prepares for elections in a transition to civilian rule. His main task is to reform the country and electoral institutions for a free and fair election. I think there is no hazard here. Our country, Chad, is the geographic center of Africa is in Chad, mm. in the southern part of Chad. The oldest man discovery in the world is in Chad, Tumai. So what we offer to the world is our humanity, despite the fact that we have development challenges. And this is the role that Chad is playing. This is the role that we intend to play in the Sahel region and above. I was mentioning the fact that despite the, the very difficult uh, situation in Sudan, we kept our borders open to make sure that we can welcome our brothers and sisters who are flying, you know, who are leaving the countries, going away because they are seeking home. Do you offer them home? More than 1.5 million refugees. 60% of the refugees of the Sahel are there in charge which shows, I think, our humanity. People over everything. Mm -hmm. But now, because we stood up with dignity, we need also a support of our, our friends, friends of Chad, friends of the Chadian people, etc. This is on the humanitarian side. But we intend also to continue to play our role on security side, you know, to continue to transform our army, our security forces. And this is for us a public investment that we are bringing on the table. Last but not least, we need to make sure that we move our country for, from a one-legged one kind of country to a two-legged country, where basically the question of security, we focus on that 100%, but also the question of development. development yeah. You know, Because a country is like a bird. If you are an eagle and you want to go further, Unless you have your two wings, mm. you are not going to go right, further. Right. And a human being like you and me, we can't choose between your left leg and your right one. Mm. The left one is security. The left, the, the, the left one is... The right uh, one is uh, development. Yes, mm. it's development. Mm. And development goes hand in hand with democracy. Mm. Because this is where people can choose the leaders. And they can decide that they will appoint only servant leaders. So this is the new chart we are trying to build. 
And this is why we are asking the international community and our friends internationally to help us. We are not asking, we are not begging. We are saying we stood up with dignity mm -hmm. and now we want people to come and help us. We'll partner with and you. we know mm -hmm. our vision is clear. The, what we are looking for is the support because we are already investing in a public good which is security, the fight against terrorism, the question of climate change, the business enabling environment to make sure that people can come and invest in Chad. This is the Chad of today. This is a new Chad. Mm -hmm. I am head of the government 1st of January within a new republic because we move from the 4th republic to a 5th republic. Mm. This is really with a new constitution. It means that it's a fresh you know, kind it's of... It's a new era. Uh, it's a new area and yeah. we invite everybody to come and discover this new chart and help us have a soft landing. Soft landing. Yes. Mr. Prime Minister, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And good luck in your uh, development plans. Thank you so much. That's Chad's Prime Minister, Sassas Masra. He spoke to VOA's Jackson Vugani on Thursday here in Washington. And it's time for Friday's listener comment segment. And we have this voice message from one of our listeners. Hello, VOA. My name is Akola Jet Michael, right here in South Sudan capital, Cuba. When the unfortunate explosion of the military hardware happened on Sunday night. I was sound asleep. And what came into my mind after I woke up with this start was I thought it was war again. Because the explosion was too huge. It shook the foundation of the whole Juba. Nobody in Juba did not hear it that night. The flash of light was all over the skies of Juba. The shaking was much more than that of an earthquake. It was a very terrible experience. When an SSPDF spokesperson came out the following day to make some clarifications on what happened, one of the things he said was the cost of the bank was extreme hit. I totally disagree with him. Let the government not fall asleep. Let them investigate this matter very, very well. I'm afraid to say no one is safe here in Cuba. Thank you. Martin Manuel Wugal in Juba writes, Hello, VOA. Allow me to convey my best wishes and congratulations to the police officers who graduated yesterday, February 29, 2024. It is going to reinforce the work of the police in fighting crimes and enforcing laws in the capital city. Majak Marco Majong from Makwok Payam in Ton North County says, says he condemns the killing of the polio vaccinator in Duke County of Jongole State on Wednesday morning by unknown gunmen. He appeals to the state authorities to deal with the perpetrators and bring them to book. Peter Gony Anyang Majongdul says... Tanza, the high commodity prices in South Sudan go beyond description as prices of the commodities are going up with each day break, making it hard for normal citizens to cope. As the country depends on imported food, this poses a significant challenge. Mading Malwal Alwong in Juba says there are too many wasteful economic conferences with zero dividends. Key players in the sector aren't always involved. Ordinary 
Such conferences should be prioritized by the government to outline policies and legislation that create a conducive environment for business owners. And Thomas Tunkoch in Olfangak Payam says, Hello, VOA. The burning of ammunition stores in Juba is a wake-up call for the South Sudanese government. The views expressed here do not reflect the views of VOA or of this program. We appreciate hearing from all of you. Keep those comments coming. And that's all we prepared for you this Friday, March 1st, 2024. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you missed this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with JJD and the song Yemari. We've been listening to JJD and the song Yamari. I'm your host, Nabil Biagio in Washington. On behalf of our producer, Kwame Foreign Engineer Peter Huntley, thanks for taking the time to be with us. Remember to join us again next week for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Sa